so we're starting a brand new series tonight I'm super excited about because it is, um, it's, it's just called Jesus Said What? Exactly. Jesus Said What? And the, and the reason I want to talk about this, it's actually going to last nine weeks. And it's not the nine crazy things that Jesus said. It is nine crazy things that Jesus said. Jesus said some insanely unique things. And so I want to look at them over the next two and a half months because I believe to follow Jesus, you, are, you have to be challenged to live differently. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not be challenged to be different. You're not gonna, you have to be different. Um, I, am a, um, I am a very big, uh, I should say I am a medium Average to medium, I want to be bigger than I am, but I'm a big uh, fiction book reading guy. Like, I like to read fiction. You guys like to read fiction? Anybody in here? So maybe a, maybe a handful of us. I'm a big fiction guy. And what I like about fiction, there is this one genre, which I've probably read most of my fiction books in, I think, and it's called fantasy. How many of you have read fantasy before? So fantasy would be things like the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. So that's fantasy. Um, and then I read some even crazier stuff. But here's, what's, here's one of the cool things about fantasy books, is when you're reading a fantasy book, and uh, Carson just started reading one um, for eighth grade, The Giver. The Giver is actually a fantasy book. And um, uh, what, what she, she, she read the first chapter. I don't know those of you that have read The Giver, if you remember this, you just get thrown into the story. Like, you're like, what's going on? I just got thrown in the story, and the story just kind of, you learn the rules of the fantasy world as you read. So Carson asked me after chapter, chapter uh, one, she's like, Dad, what the heck are 12s? Like, immediately, she's just like, what in, what in the world's going on? And I said, you've got to read. It wants you to discover the rules of this new world. And one of the cool things about reading fantasy is it breaks the rules of our world. The, the definition of a fantasy book or a fantasy movie, or a fantasy TV show, is that it breaks the rules of the current world that you and I live in. That's the rule of fantasy. And what I love to do when I'm reading fantasy is to learn the rules. It's neat to me when you discover, oh, so, so when we're reading the Chronicles of Narnia, you don't read very long until all of a sudden you realize, oh, oh, animals can talk in this world, right? But th th that's a beaver, and the beaver is talking. You read, a little bit, you read a little bit before that, and you go, oh, oh, they don't just have the same kind of animals in that world that we do here. That's a man with the body of a deer, right? Mr. Tumnus. And so, you, so, you, so, you're, so you're reading these books, and as you read, you discover these, these new rules, these new laws, this new way that this world works. Well, Jesus introduces us to a new world when he speaks. And it might as well be called fantasy because it is so contrary to the world in which you and I live in. It's just different. It's just odd. It's like reading the Lord of the Rings and realizing that they have like elves and trolls and dwarves. And, and you go, oh, we don't have those. And reading the Bible, if you read Jesus correctly, like if you really look and you listen to what Jesus is saying, you're going to be challenged so deeply because his world is a fantasy world and it, because it is so different than the world you and I live in. But it is the world in which he intended that our world would be. 
And so over these next nine weeks, we're going to look at some different sayings of Jesus. Jesus said, what? We're going to look at some different sayings of Jesus, and he's going to be giving us this new understanding, this new rule. And when I say rule, I don't mean like, like do this and don't do this as much as I mean this is who you were always intended to be, and when you don't act this way, when you don't respond this way, you live into the brokenness of our already broken world. And so I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited about seeing what Jesus has to say. So tonight, I decided I was going to start with a big one. I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm going to a big one. I, um, I love chocolate dream pie. Like chocolate, my mom makes the greatest chocolate pie I've ever had in my entire life. Like, there's good chocolate pie. Like, if you go to Jim and Nick's, they have good chocolate pie. It's good. You go to Full Moon, good chocolate pie. My mom's chocolate pie is in another league. Like, it's in another hemisphere. It's in another world. It's just good. And every once in a while, I will desire chocolate pie. Like, I will be thinking about it, and my mouth will begin to salivate, and I'll go, I just need some of that. My mom's chocolate pie, have y'all ever had the chocolate pie that was more like pudding with whipped cream on top? Yeah, that's... So my mom's chocolate pie, like you can, like you can taste the sugar granules in your teeth as you're, as you're chewing. You're like, like you can feel it. It's so sweet. Anybody ever heard the term, uh, that's too rich for me? Have you all heard that term before? Doesn't exist in my world. There is no such thing as too rich for me. I want to eat rich food. I want to eat sweet food. I have, a, I have a, a, uh, an extreme sweet tooth. My favorite fast food dessert are the Cinnaballs at Taco Bell. Have y'all had those before? That is so sweet and rich. Give me 30 of them. So the knock against purity in our world, the knock against purity in our world is that our desires are there because it's who we are. But not all of our desires are okay. Not everything that our body desires is good for us. I want to eat an entire pie of chocolate dream pie. I want to eat all of it. But like, I would get sick and throw up. Like I really would get sick. I could not eat an entire chocolate dream pie. So sometimes we look at the, sometimes we look at purity and we go, look, I just, this is my, I can't control it. What I, what I desire, what I want, what I think about, I can't control those things. And what I want to do is just push back a little bit tonight and talk about, I want to talk about um, lust. And y'all are like, crap, why did we come tonight? (laughs) Good health requires our organs to function in precise ways and in precise times. The heart, the lungs, the kidneys have these detailed roles, tasks that they are supposed to do. And when the heart pumps blood too slowly or the kidneys fail to clean our blood, we rightly say that these organs are not working properly. Why not think the same thing about our desires? Shouldn't our desires make our mind and our souls and our bodies healthier? The way that we think should make us healthy shouldn't make us sick. The problem is is that lust has the opposite effect. When we give control of our lives over to lust, we lose not only the potential joy of intimate relationships, but we also use the enjoyment of so much else. 
At its core, lust wars against relationships. Listen, this is, this is, this is the primary big idea. At its core, lust wars against relationships. It distorts our duties. It confuses friendships. It breaks up marriages. It betrays children. It creates false intimacy. And it turns us away from the pleasure of another person toward mere self-gratification. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, if you want to look with me on your, uh, on your bulletin. I forgot to pray. Jesus, speak to us tonight. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing here. 527 and 28. Matthew, what did I put? Sorry. I'm in Matthew chapter 5. Nope, I'm in 5. Verse 27. Are you, you just ticked off about it? I'm 527 verse. <laughs> I got you, Daniel. I'm just playing. Five, I'm in chapter 5, verse 27. Sorry. If you're at a spot where you can put that up on the, can you put that up maybe potentially so we can look at it? But it doesn't matter. So I'm gonna, I'll just say it again. Jesus says, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. What he's doing is he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from a Ten Commandment, right? He's saying, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But this is the brilliance of Jesus. Jesus knows that, and I'm going to be real straight with you guys tonight, right? Like I don't, I'm not going to tiptoe around stuff. Jesus knows that, that 999 times out of 1,000, you don't just accidentally commit adultery. You don't just accidentally, oh my God, I didn't even realize adultery just happened. And so what Jesus is saying is let's go further up the stream Let's, let's get a little bit more into the, 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 the nuts and the bolts. Let's get into the details. Let's get in here and figure out what is this about? What is this about? Where does this come from? Because adultery, look, it just doesn't start at whoops. There's something more to it. And so Jesus wants to take us to the heart of the matter. And he says this, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Here's what he says. The root, the starting point where we begin to sin in regards to adultery is lust. That's where it begins. Now, here's the question. Like, what in the world is lust? So, the Bible here says looks. Anyone who looks at a woman. In the Greek, it's this word... Um, uh, that means something along the lines of stares at. How many of you have ever been? Um, how many of you ever been stared at? Have you ever been stared at before? I've been stared at before, but never. I'm sure never lustfully. I have been stared at, um, and like somebody just in La La Land, and you and you, somebody just loses himself, and you go, hey, 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 and then they go. Y'all ever seen anybody do that? So that's the only times I've ever been stared at. Um, have you ever caught yourself? Have you ever caught yourself in La La Land, and when you finally came to, you realized you were staring at someone? So that's not what this kind of stare is. Oh, that's creepy, right? Have you ever, anybody ever, like, that's, that's creeper time right there. So that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is 
To lust means to lust means to stare at someone, to stare at someone, and just so that we're clear, it doesn't just mean to stare at a live person. It can also mean stare at your phone or stare at a computer screen. <laughs> Yes, that's where we're going tonight. I know that a lot of you struggle with that. It means, they, so they said, they said, well, I said, it doesn't just mean to stare at a live person. They went, oh, I thought you meant like you stare at a dead person. No, that's not, our, that's not our big struggle I'm addressing tonight. I can see how you would think that that would be one of our, one of the big sins we're warring against here at Epic. No, I don't mean, it doesn't mean just a real life a real life standing in front of you, three-dimensional person, but also it can be your it can be your your cell phone or your computer screen or your iPad, uh, the laptop in your room, the television in your room. It can be those things too. But it is to stare at someone with the intention of fulfilling a sexual desire. That's what lust is. It's to stare at someone with the intention of fulfilling a sexual desire. So that's lust. It's not just looking at somebody and recognizing beauty. There are beautiful people all around you. And every once in a while you see someone and you go, that's not lust. That's just like, wow, she's gorgeous. Or, wow, he is handsome, which I know that's what you usually say. So lust is, so lust is this idea that I'm going to stare at someone and this is what Jesus says. To lust is to already commit adultery in your heart. This is the root of where, of, of where um, adultery begins. Adultery is the afterthought. It's the, it's the after effect. This is where it starts. And then he says this. This is crazy. This is what I want to look at tonight. This is what Jesus says. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin... Then gouge it out and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to sin, poke it out, cut it out, dig it out, throw it in the throw it, throw it away. Let's hope so, right? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So this is, the, this is the Jesus said what? Jesus said, what? So we're talking about lust. And I don't know if this is true. I have a hunch that it is that we right now might live in the most lust-crazed society in the history of the world. It's crazy. There are lust enticements. There are lust... Um, there are, these, there, are these, there are these images that are constantly in front of us, whether it is a real person or is a person on a screen or a piece of paper uh, like a magazine or a whatever that are in front of us all of the time constantly saying, stare at me, lust after me. And what Jesus says to us is, if you're having trouble staring, if your right eye is having trouble staring and lusting, then just gouge it out. Throw it away because it's better for you to lose an eye than it is for your whole body to go to hell. Crazy, right? So 
I have good news and bad news. The good news is that this is an exaggeration of Jesus. Bad news is, but it, he is not exaggerating how serious he is. He didn't, want you to, he didn't want you to poke your eye out. So what Jesus does a lot of times, and we don't know this because, because we have to read the Bible very closely, but what Jesus does a lot of times is he is drawing our attention to another part of the Bible, and he's drawing our attention to this place in the Old Testament. So there was a, um, if you ever read the Old Testament, there are these six books. There's First and Second Samuel, there's First and Second Kings, and there's First and Second Chronicles. Have y'all, have y'all heard of those? So First and Second Samuel deal with King Saul and King David. And then First and Second Kings deal with another 80 kings. Then First and Second Chronicles are written 400 years later, and they deal with all the same kings again. It just retells the story again. So First and Second Kings, First and Second uh, Samuel are the same thing as First and Second Chronicles. They're just told a little differently. So at the end, at the very end of Second Kings and the very end of Second Chronicles, the very last king of Judah, his name is Zedekiah. And Zedekiah does evil in the sight of God, the Old Testament says. He does some very evil things, and God is extremely displeased with him, and God decides, fine, you're on your own. I'm going to allow you to be overtaken by an enemy. And Babylon, this great country, Babylon, this nation of Babylon, comes in and they take the nation of Judah, the nation of uh, Judah, they take them captive and they will be captive for the next 2,000 years. They will be slaves for the next 2,000 years. So what happens is Zedekiah, um, he began to worship other idols. He began to worship other gods. And in worshiping other gods, he began to um, sacrifice lots of animals to the other gods. But then he didn't think like he was sacrificing enough because he would feel this pressure. How do we know if God's happy with us or not? So he began to sacrifice people to the very point that he got to the point where he was sacrificing his own sons, the Bible said. He sacrificed his own kids to Baal. Have you all heard of Baal before? So he sacrificed his own kids to Baal. Jeremiah comes... uh, uh, so what happens is, is uh, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, comes and he gets Zedekiah. And he gouges. What he does is he um, kills Zedekiah's other children in front of him. Then he gouges his eyes out and takes him into captivity to live without eyes. And they take the dead bodies. They take the dead bodies of the kids and all of the other people that, Zedek- that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar killed, they take them and they throw them into this town called Ben-Hinnom. Say Ben-Hinnom. It's this city called Ben-Hinnom. Ben-Hinnom, uh, they take them and they begin to burn the bodies there and the town just becomes desolate and no one ever lives there again. Well, 500 years passed and Jesus comes on the scene And Ben-Hinnom has turned into the city dump right outside of Jerusalem. It's now the dump where they throw trash. And the name has been shortened from Ben-Hinnom. Now it's just called Gehenna. Did y'all say Gehenna? Gehenna. So I want to tell you this. Every time that you see in the New Testament Jesus say the word hell, H-E-L-L, every time you see him say hell, the word in the Hebrew there is Gehenna. 
Jesus is never talking about hell the way you and I think about hell. Like the place down there that's fire and the devil and the pitchfork. He's never talking about hell that way. Every single time you see the word hell, he's talking about Gehenna. Remember what Gehenna is. Gehenna is the place, it's the dump, it's the city dump, it's the trash place, the place of where they throw all of the trash, all of the refuse, they burn all of the trash that's there. It's always burning, it's always, it's always got some type of smell of, of just burnt trash. But not only that, in the past, remember how it, how it got its name. It got its name from the people that rebelled against God and God turned them over to another nation that killed them and then left them there. So that's Gehenna. So every time Jesus talks about hell, he's talking about that place. So Jesus, whenever he's talking about, he's drawing our attention to this story, to this story where um, Zedekiah's eyes were gouged out. He wants us to see what in the world happens to us. This is the pain that lust causes. It causes death. It causes, um, it causes brokenness. And so Jesus is very serious. So I want, to, I want to give you three quick points tonight, and then I'm going to talk about. I want to give you three quick points tonight. The first one is this. Jesus cares passionately about purity. Jesus cares passionately about purity. While he is using what is called hyperbole, he is using exaggeration to make his point, we cannot understate his point that Jesus cares about what our minds are thinking of. When Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, if your eye causes you to sin. Now let's think about it. We know that it's an exaggeration because your eye can't cause you to sin. When you lust, what's the issue for lust? Is it your eye or is it your mind? It's your mind, right? So we know that it's an exaggeration, but he says this, if your eye causes you to sin, by the way, no one lusts with one eye, right? That rarely happens, I would assume. So he says, so he says, if your right eye causes you sin, gouge it out and throw it into the Gehenna. Because it's better for just your eye to go to Gehenna than it is for your whole body to go to Gehenna. And he's drawing our attention to this graphic story about Zedekiah and his kids who were murdered in front of him before his eyes are gouged out. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And so Jesus is passionate about the way that we think. And we have to become passionate about the way that we think. At some point, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have to say that the way that my mind thinks about another human in regards to lust, is, 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 um, it, it will destroy me. It will hurt me, and it will hurt other people. Jesus is passionate about our purity. You live in a world that couldn't give a less rip about your purity, or else you couldn't look at so much crud on your phone any moment of any day. Your world couldn't give a less rip. Our government couldn't give a less rip. How can our government care about our children and yet they hold cell phones in their hand and they can look at literally things that will psychologically hurt them forever? Parents too often don't give a less rip. My kids get so frustrated at me at all of the different types of locks and screen time and all of, they get so frustrated at me and I'm like, do you understand? I care, I want to, I want to protect you. And so many of our parents couldn't give a less rip. Some of you guys got cell phones that are sitting beside your bed, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, everybody's asleep, and you're staring, flipping through stuff. I'm just going to tell you, you never need to be on your phone at 1 o'clock in the morning. You should never be on your cell phone flipping through or on your laptop or on your computer or on your Xbox flipping through the Internet. You should never. There's no reason to ever do that. 
get off, the, get off your cell phone and like sleep. Some of you sleep through math class because you just were on the So Jesus is, and we've got to be passionate about it. We got to be passionate. We're like, we got to care. And so it's, it's hard for us to care because nobody else does. I don't know many people that care about your purity. If people cared about your purity, our world would look different. The magazines that you go, Publix cares a little bit. Have y'all ever been in line and seen how they cover up the magazine covers where there's someone who is a little bit less, less clad? Have y'all noticed that? Thank you, Publix. I guess Publix cares a little bit about purity. But like you go to Walmart and, and there's crap right in front of you. Walmart, like Walmart? Like aren't they supposed to be Christians? They don't care. Nobody cares if it sells it is supposed to be. Walmart's supposed to be. It was founded by Christians. Yeah, they failed. Yes, they did. So, but nobody cares except me and Publix. Publix and me and Publix and myself. No, no one cares. And so what Jesus is telling us is somebody's got to be passionate about purity. Somebody's got to care. Somebody's got to give a rip. And Jesus says it as emphatically as he can possibly say it. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. All he's saying is this, why don't you give a rip? Why don't you care about what you look at? Why don't you care about what your friends look at? Why don't you care about way, the way that your friends talk? Why doesn't somebody challenge another person when they say, why doesn't somebody that's in a Snapchat group and somebody says something evil or sexual or something that is, shouldn't be said, why doesn't somebody snap back and say, hey, that's too far? Because nobody cares. And Jesus is saying, somebody get passionate about purity. Somebody give a rip. Number two is this. Jesus speaks specifically about humanity. At the core of the Christian ethic, the greatest attribute, the, when, 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 when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, What's the most important commandment? Jesus does something sly. He does something really smart, and too bad we miss it too often. But they say, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says, love God. Oh, and by the way, there's another commandment that is equally as important. He doesn't say this is the second commandment or this is, this is best commandment part B. He says this is equal to the first commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind and strength and love people like you love yourself. The key component, the key attribute, the key characteristic of what Jesus says is the most important commandment to follow him is love. It's love. And how do we show people that we love them? Paul says it brilliantly in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, and love is blind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It always protects. It always perseveres. He says it, he says it beautifully about this is what love means. Love means, and, and Jesus says, if you, want, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, you have to love. And the problem with lust is this. It takes the humanity away from another person. You just begin to use another person. Back in the 1700s, I rarely tell these kind of illustrations, but here we go. 
Back in the 1700s, we had this little document that was written called the Declaration of Independence. You've probably heard of that, right? And inside of the Declaration of Independence, the author says that every human in the, in the United States of America should be afforded the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every human in the United States of America, in this newly formed union, should be afforded the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A couple years later, about 10 years later, they began to work on the United States Constitution, and they had an extreme dilemma. The dilemma was, but what do we do with black people? What do we do with them? Because the Declaration of Independence says that every human deserves the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there was a huge group of our country that said, well, that refers to all people. And then someone would say, well, what about a black people? And they would say, oh, no, 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 they're not people. And so what the Constitution did that was insane is they decided to make black people 60% human. They said black people are going to be 60%. They're not 100% human. They're just 60% human. It was called the three, you guys have heard it, the three-fifths amendment, right? They're just going to be 60% human. And so what we did as a nation, you know, one nation under God, you know, our Christian nation, figure that out. I don't know how, forget all that. So what we did as, a, as our Christian nation was we dehumanized an entire race of humanity. We said, you are not human. You're just 60% human. You're partially human. Hitler comes along 200 years later and says the same thing about black people, about Jewish people, about those that are mentally handicapped. You're not humans. And what Jesus pushes against so hard with this is he says what lust does is it causes us to dehumanize somebody where we look at them as an object instead of as a, as, a, as a person that was created in the image of God. This is a human. This is somebody's kid. This is somebody's, somebody's son or somebody's daughter. This is, a, this is a human. It's not a 60% human. It's not, a, it's not not a human at all. This is a, this is a human. And what lust does is it forces us to say, I don't see this person as a human. I don't see this person as a friend. I don't see this person as a sister. I don't see this person as a brother. Instead, I see this person as an object of my own sexual desire. And I use them for that and that reason only. That's one of the greatest problems with lust is it causes us to see other humans as other than. And in this room, there are no other thans. There are no 60% humans in this room. There are humans with the beauty and the value and the dignity of the creator of the universe. And that's all we have. And as, and as upset as every person in this room gets, I have the confidence in my heart that every person in this room is, is, is absolutely disgusted by the idea that our country said black people are not 100% human, they're 60%. I know that you are disgusted by that. We have to become equally as disgusted when we treat a person of the opposite sex or, of course, of the same sex as a sexual object by which we will fulfill our own desires.
we have to equally be disgusted. We have to stop looking at people as objects of my own fulfillment and instead as the image of God, the image bearers. And Jesus speaks specifically about humanity. And lastly is this. Jesus very specifically challenges men intentionally. I just want to make one big point here, but I want you to see what's going on. Let's look back at our, let's look back at our verse. Do we have it? Did, were you able to figure that out, Bethany? Can you put up, yes or no, were you, can you put up Matthew um, 5.28? Yes, perfect. But I tell you, now I, wanted, I want to give you some context about who Jesus is talking to here. I want to make sure you understand who Jesus is talking to. The Bible says he's talking to disciples. But don't, don't think he's talking to the 12 disciples. They haven't been invited to follow Jesus yet. They're not going to get invited to follow Jesus until Matthew chapter 10. So the disciples are all of the people that are following Jesus to listen to his message, of which we know that there are several thousand. And they are filled with men, women, and children. So he's talking to men, he's talking to women, he's talking to children. But let's look very specifically at what he says. He's not, he's talking to men and women. He's talking to boys and girls. But look what he says. I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. It is no secret that in world history, the greatest oppression and subjugation of another gender has come from men to women. It is unarguable. I'm not saying that women can't lust. What I'm telling you is, is that men have exponentially dehumanized other women at an, uh, at an enormous amount. And Jesus is challenging men. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to jump on that for a second. And I just want to challenge young men in this room. Over 80% of pornography that is looked at on the internet is men. Boys, men. It's, it's, it's the male gender. It seems to me that any of, us can, any of us can oppress another person or dehumanize another person. But it seems to me that we dehumanize through our sexual desires. It seems to be um, an especially universal and difficult problem for young men. And older men, but I mean for young men. And I want you to know that Jesus is challenging you as a follower of Christ to stop looking at females, to stop looking at women as just an object of how you can please yourself and instead look at her as someone who is an image bearer of Jesus Christ, someone who you have been entrusted to protect. Men are stronger than women, physically. That's about it. But men are stronger than women, and it is our job to protect them and that doesn't just mean, I, I, I'm, I would be so proud. I would love to be around you if, if, I, if, if we were in this room right now 
and some guy started just dog cussing this, this girl in here and pushed them down. I, every young man in this room would jump on that. I was at Walmart several years ago, and um, I was walking out of Walmart, and I just bought something. I, I, I actually run into, to, um, I was so sad. Paul Walker had just died. And I'd just come out of Fast and Furious, and I was just walking around Walmart sad. That's how long ago it was. I was so sad. And I ran in to see if they had something. And on my way out, I'm walking out the door, and, and I hear this man dog cussing someone. I'm talking about you fill in the blank of all of the dirty words. He was saying them, and I thought, Man, somebody's about to get in a fight. And I looked over, and it was a guy this tall, and he was looking down at a little woman this tall and just letting her have it. And it flew all over me. I'm not a fighter, y'all. I Crap. I, I run from physical danger. <laughs> and I bowed up and said, Hey, guy, you better chill out. Just like that's what I said, my exact words. I said, you better chill out. And he, said, and he started walking toward me. And, I, and literally in split second, I thought to myself, fight or flight. Like it was in my head. It was like fight or flight. And I, and I realized that that wasn't the only two options. It wasn't either fight or run away. I realized I can scream. I can just go, ah! I, I realized that that was an option. I knew that. Was, it was that fast. I was like, I knew that was an option for me. I'd always heard, I'd always heard that if you're ever in trouble, just start screaming and literally it will confuse the attacker. And all of that flashed through my head immediately. I said, hey guy, you better chill out. And I was so mad. I was just mad. I said, you better chill out. And he went, are you going to stop me? And I went, no, but I'm calling the cops. Just like that. And he stopped, he stopped this close to me. Just like this. And I don't know if it was like the bravery of David against Goliath. Because he was taller than I am. And I said, I said, why don't you turn around and go shop? I think it was so, I think it was so confusing to him. That he turned around and went into Walmart. And I was so, I was so, I just was like, I almost, almost got in a fight as an adult pastor. And this little lady looked at me and she said, sir, thank you. I don't know what she did. She might have punched him in the face. I don't know what she did. But I know he was a bully and I had to do something about it in that moment. And I went outside of my own character. I was going to fight. No, I wasn't. I was going to scream. I was going to scream. And I have no doubt in my mind that every man in this room, every young man, every, every boy, every young man, every man in this room, if you saw somebody right now, if I just was just ugly and I just pushed Kaylee on the ground, I know every one of you would be like, what the heck is wrong with you, Pastor Jeremy? I'm not even calling you pastor anymore. Y'all would, y'all would stop listening to me. Y'all would, I would, there would be... And at some point, we've got to, to have that same protector spirit about the image of, of women, too. We've got to care about protecting them. 
And you can't protect a woman. You can't value a woman. You can't value the young lady sitting next to you if you go home and you stare at a screen when they don't have clothes on. You can't do it. You don't have the ability to do it. You're ripping apart your ability to protect. And Jesus is speaking to you. Now, ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook because I have been in youth ministry for 20 years and I am well aware that this is a growing problem with young ladies too. And I just want to tell you, you cannot be an image bearer, be an image protector trying to fulfill your own evil desires. You can't do it. And this is what Jesus says about it. If your eye causes you to stumble, rip it out of its socket and throw it away because he's serious about it. He's serious about what we look at. He's serious about how we humanize and how we dehumanize others. And he's serious about how young men honor and protect women. He just cares. I want to pray for you tonight. And I just want to say this. I want to say this to you. Tonight, I'm going to do one thing and one simple thing. There's some of you in this room that have a problem with what you look at on the internet. And you have to get help. I'm going to give you two cell phone numbers tonight. And all you got to do is text one of us. I'm going to give you mine, and I'm going to give you Pastor Amber's. Sorry, Amber, I didn't tell you I was doing that. (laughs) But I'm going to give you mine, and I'm going to give you Pastor Amber's. And if you're a girl or a guy, either one of you can text either one of us. It doesn't matter. We will help you. We will help you. We will help you find help. But this room is filled with people that have lost the understanding of the humanization of the image of God in each, inside of each of us. And so I'm going to give you this. So here's what I'm going to ask that you do. I'm going to ask that everybody takes their phone out because I, I, I want you to take your phone out. And if you don't have a phone, then take out a pen and a paper. But I want everybody to do this because there are some of you in this room that you would never write my number down or Amber's number down uh, if you were the only one writing a number down, right? So I'm just going to get all of you to. And all you got to do is, all you got to do is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Addison made me laugh at her. I have a screen lock on her phone. So, <laughs> so sorry. I don't know why it's so funny to me. Because I'm trying to be serious. She just looked at me and she went. <laughs> Which I could easily say to her. You had an hour. You shouldn't have used it up already. Oh, that's true. It's after 8 o'clock. <laughs> okay, I want to be serious. Um, I'm going to give you my number. My number is 205-643-0711. 205. Hey, do me a favor. As I say this, Bethany, put, uh, type this out, and then let's put it on the screen. So my number is um, 205. Thank you. That's helpful. 205-643-0711. Send me a text and tell me what your name is. Tell me, hey, I need some help. That's all you have to do. I need some help. Amber's number is 772-532-4636. All I want you to do is 
um, some of you are some of you are texting me now. Great. Um, you're just being like, hey, what's up? I, I'm only going to respond to you with this type of invitation if you say I need help. So that's that's your code word to me. That's all you got to say. Amber's the same way. Some of you are just like, oh, that's Amber. Hey, what are you doing? What are, what are you up to? You going to Taco Bell? Great. She's only going to respond to you with. Let me help you if you say, I need some help. So everybody has the potential to have our numbers. Bethany's going to have them up in just a second. Y'all write them down, whatever. So, But that's the altar call tonight. Pastor Jeremy, I need some help. It is, it is the, hardest, the hardest thing about getting help is saying, I need help. That's it. That's the hardest part. There is nothing harder than admitting you have a problem. So that's my altar call tonight. There's our numbers. So everybody's got their phone number out. Everybody's got a piece of paper out. There we are. Good. Hey, I love you guys. I want to pray for you, okay? Jesus, tonight you are challenging us deeply. You're, you're, you're cutting to the core. We're not just, we're not just tiptoeing around these uh, simple issues. But this is a big issue. Lust is at the heart of, of too often dehumanizing men and women and boys and girls and young men and young ladies. Jesus, tonight I challenge young people and I ask that you challenge their hearts. If they have a problem, it's time to get help. Amen. Hey, love you guys. I will see you all at Taco Bell.